have either one of you seen yet at the grocery store carbon neutral food labels? No, I would, I'd kind of expect like carb free, low carb, you know, right. things to do with food, yeah. not carbon neutral. Um, I'm looking in the frozen food really section because I I do like my work day. I, I'll usually eat breakfast weekends. I definitely eat breakfast pancakes, mm-hmm. of course. But of coffee, like get get in and start working quickly, and then I often will forget to eat. And so, if there's not something like either a healthy frozen food option or a like a healthy bar, whatever, like I just won't eat anything. I'll just look down. And I'm like lost unless there's an apple or something. Anyway, I'm looking at the frozen food section, and it's the healthy frozen food section. This probably has something to do with like the target demographic. Uh, yeah, yeah. But half of the things are suddenly have this giant label on it that says carbon neutral. And I, I thought carb, it must be something related to carb. And I was like, oh no, it's carbon neutral. But it was such a large label that you couldn't even see what was inside the package. That's so strange. But it must be because they just figure that if you like, you know, um, sustainability or healthier food, that you also deeply care about that. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's, it's like, ju- it's justifying their cost too. It's like, we know we're more, Maybe that. we're good for the earth. So. Does it? To you, it makes the food immediately taste worse, like in my head, because then I, I don't know why. Like if you say this is farm to table, you're like, oh, like this is like really fresh. It's local. It's cared for more delicately. You're like that. Would, that should be really good. And then you're right. like, this is uh, this is a carbon neutral protein product. You're like, what? What? Yeah. What is we, this made out of? We have some folks who listen to the show who are big into, you know, net zero, carbon neutral, all that stuff. And that. It's like, I, I understand what it is. I understand why great. it's important, but when considering my food options, to your point, it's very sterile. It sounds like something was made in a lab and they sucked the carbon out of it. Right. <laughs> right. It's not free range. It's not grass fed and you know, all those things make you feel. It doesn't good. even talk about really the benefit. I mean, this is why it's, this, we're talking about this on a marketing podcast yeah. while we get things set up. It's just like, I. It's a feature. What's not the a benefit. benefit? There we go. It's a feature versus benefit thing where it's because I know what that stuff means because of of I mean, what is it? Forty percent of all uh, carbon released is is a result of um, uh, construction and buildings. So it's like it's talked a lot about in our industry. But I just yeah. wonder, like, does the average person know what the benefit is? And maybe the label had to be that big so when you're checking out, other people can be like, "Hey, yeah. Jackie, see that person? They care. That's about a good person." They care. And then well, they they're get also, them and, and they're trying to, maybe they're just trying to change your mindset of you should care about this. So we're going to slap it in front of your face, especially if you are already trending towards that more expensive, organic, potentially lifestyle. Yeah. We they're know, almost, we know taking advantage of those people. And this should be, yeah, this should be important to you. But here's the thing. Maybe it's just we like know. a thing rubbing someone else's face. So it's like, well, I eat it's it. only a matter of time now until someone goes the other extreme and says carbon added. Carbon added and it will be like bacon, carbon. beef. It might be red, white, and blue. And this is we're stereotyping here. Which is, it's going to be that type of product, right? Yeah, it's it's like, it's forget that. It's got to be the two extremes. I think sometimes Nothing it's also that. funny. You'll go to a builder's website and it's like, here's our hers score, and the average person's <laughs> like, what? Like, can you explain that to me? So I I think sometimes it's also like maybe you should start off with something less less specific and get a little more general in that first impression. So. Yeah, I'd go better taste over that any day. All right, let's get started. Let's get started. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 288. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Andrew, the ad doctor, Peak, and Jackie Lipinski. Hi there. Happy to be here. Happy, happy, happy to be here. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. This month is flying by. This has been a month. We're in GA4 mode. I yeah, am. GA4. I'm ready to not talk about GA4 ever again. But <laughs> I'm also, that's like pretty much my story time is GA4. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, all you're going to be talking about for another 45 days. I would so go ahead. At least. Yeah, go what ahead. It's So this is maybe it's a feel good story or just like we are normal people here at Do You Convert. Yeah. Every day we're finding something new in GA4. And you could think like we go through the help docs. We're just seeing random YouTube videos from other 
agencies that are outside of building, you know, all the, we're just this constant influx of content that we're trying to digest for GA4 is, is there, but using it, we're still like, oh, look at this cool thing we could do, or, oh, what is wrong with these people who design GA4? It's not ready to ship. It's not ready to be used yet. And so it's like, it's really like one extreme or the other. You know, there's a lot of interface challenges or just usability mm -hmm. UX, like you're like, what is happening here? Why is it that way? It's not fun to use. But then there's other things that are just um, like there's collections, you can make reports, you could make custom reports 30 minutes before we start recording, right? I'd say like an hour before we start recording. Jack and I were talking, we made a custom report that pulls in all your Facebook campaigns. It's pre-filtered. It will be permanently on the left side. Mm -hmm. So you go traffic acquisition, user acquisition, Facebook campaign overview, super cool. But then the other side is like, what is this pile of garbage over here? And this feature set that is just useless and wastes our time. So it, it's, it's like bipolar. I don't know. It's, it is crazy. So here, I'm excited for it, but not. I don't know where you want to go with this other than first to say we will have way more resources than anyone else, mostly thanks to Andrew and Sarah who are publicly leading the charge. Again, the whole team here is everyone's finding something different, sharing, 100%. comparing, um, aggregating it all together. But in uh, DYC All Access, there is this 30-minute uh, webinar that you can go access uh, for free. Of course, All Access is always free. And watch it there. You've got the two articles that Sarah's written. I think, yep. Andrew, you got an article as well. Um, yep. We're launched in a Conversion series of videos. Mm -hmm. But what we know everyone does whenever something changes is you see like, are you prepared? And uh, the countdown or like, hey, we yep. could get this set up for you for just a shiny little penny or a couple grand or a couple hundred bucks. Or, But yeah. anyone who says we've got it all figured out and so therefore you should pay us the big bucks to get it like truly no one can because it seems like every day google just makes a change and doesn't tell anyone yep even like thinking about like the elite premium like seo agencies out there that i'm thinking of that you, you see their names if you're really plugged in they're still figuring it out so like the amount like, of the amount ahead. of videos i've been watching where also j4 will have a bug while they're recording the video from two months ago uh, even today, I was on a call with Becca and we're running through something and we're like, okay, where's that conversion? And then Julie had it open and she's like, I'm seeing that on my screen. So you're right. I think it does feel like it's too early to ship, but I would say, um, it's I'll, shipping. I, it I would say shipping. a lot of people are relying on us to be the spark notes of GA4 and, and we're here for it because, you know, we don't want anyone to feel like they're on a little Island trying to figure this out. Like we're mm -hmm. as a team failing and positively trying to break it in ways to make sure that yeah. it's like, we know you don't need this, get rid of this. We know you can hide this, get rid of this. Let's just create a very clean filter. And for now, I think a lot of builders can rely on their looker studio reports to really grab that data if they don't feel comfortable, but you're going to have to jump in and you're going to have to learn to swim in GA4 because it Google's not giving us an, another option here. Yeah. I'm actually right more in. excited okay. the more the closer we get. Um, I mean, some people that we've talked to are getting like a larger fear of feel, feel of dread, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm like I'm tingling with excitement now of because every day we're uncovering more and more new stuff. I'm excited oh, for um, actually, yeah, Jackie and I, we talked about this again yesterday. We, we talked quite a bit um, on a lot of things. This is a I guess it might be more application based. We have the marker proof algorithm, which yeah. Quite a few listening, you're familiar with it. Essentially, how can we find the bottleneck in a slow community? Let's have a data-driven approach to making a better decision for the community. What should we do? Yep. Well, now we have different metrics. They mean slightly different things. If you compare June UA data, universal analytics data versus GA4 data, we're like, ooh, well, page views are measured differently. So mm -hmm. what we used to consider, we need X amount of views for X amount of sales. That number could change. So there's all that, which to me, this is fun because then we have to re not rethink because we already know the method methodology, but we then have to, okay, do our numbers shift? Do our standards change? What is a great engagement rate? What is a poor engagement rate? Where do we go from here with the market profile algorithm? And do we do users, views, sessions? Because the numbers are changing and it just needs to be standardized so that everyone's mostly on the same page. That's exciting times to me because it's like, ooh, we get to look at it with a fresh set of 
Yeah, but here's the the trade-off to that is, and this goes back to the core issue of of trust. That does mean that we know we'll see it as soon as we interact with folks uh, who we're working with other other agencies Mm -hmm. that might be doing this. There will be nefarious things. Like if you remember back, you've heard me say this story, Carly, a couple of times about how the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette was sending all this traffic to our website at Heartland Homes, but they were changing the UTM and source code. So the source just said Post-Gazette, even though they're running search ads, they're running display or whatever. It's just like all Post-Gazette. And the fear is like, oh my gosh, I can't, like when I'm going to my boss saying, I think we should spend way less with the Post-Gazette and do stuff for only like, but you're like, we're gonna have no website traffic if you do that mm, yeah. um, back in 2008-ish, 2007. Well, this could be done at an even greater scale by someone who's tr- like, cause you can re- relabel, you can, re- you know, re- yeah. rename, you can create standard, you can hide stuff. And so it really, that's why I think ultimately what we'll probably have to do at some point is just create a, a wave publicly for, for anyone to grab what we build. doesn't mean you have to use it. Doesn't, it doesn't mean it just like anything like it, your, your CRM is a great source of truth. Uh, but when you try to use your CRM as your analytics source of truth and don't have something else to compare it to, when something breaks, you don't, yeah. you, you just have to have a lot of trust that it's being done right. Cause it, yeah. I mean, even today we talked about in J4, it has a section for in-app purchases and that's defaulted on everyone's. And we're like, that should really be hidden. Cause that's going to confuse someone down the line. Who's like, wait, how do I use this data or what do I, you know, what do I need to just do? distracting? I mean, they, when yeah. they use the word monetization. It's like, yes, I'd like money. Let's yeah. look at that. <laughs> but there's nothing there that's nothing. relevant for you at mm-hmm. all, unless you're doing, you know, full on e-commerce, which Correct. I don't think anyone is. No. I don't think anyone is. Yeah. So. Jackie, what do you got? Yeah. Um, my story time is about, um, as I'm prepping to, to have another kid here, right. I'm prepping meals. I'm getting ready. Um, it was about proper planning prevents poor performance because I also it's June and people are like, okay, Q3 and Q4 almost here. And I would say it's 50, 50 where a lot of people are like, Hey, I know what to expect the next six months. And here's my game plan. And here's how I'm going to be working with my team if we don't hit our sales numbers, how we're going to approach this. And then there's other marketers who are just like, Oh wait, what should I be learning now? It's like, you should have been learning this thing months ago, but you should, you could still, you still have time to prepare. Um, and some of those things were just like making sure you understand your metrics. Are you looking at where your metrics are? Do you know who to talk to when things go wrong? My biggest thing right now is I feel like the the unprepared marketers, if they get the fingers pointed at them, they don't necessarily know how to respond in, in certain ways. So just, yeah, making sure you have that knowledge and are working on yourself to better yourself and try to figure out that next step for how you can provide value, especially if the market gets a little slower, um, that is going to be incredibly valuable to your, your growth in your own career. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's my ADD or experience, but I have this theory that I'll make up live on this show. I mean, some of it's made up just the last part, but I've said forever that someone who's new to our industry in marketing, they're never going to be able to be a hundred percent functional until they've been there a full calendar year. And that's assuming the year is normal because there's just things that happen and seasonality in the business that no one's going to tell you. They assume everybody knows. And you're like, wait, what happens? Oh yeah, this happens every year. No big deal. So, so that's, that's the thing, but I don't know where the tipping point is because now I'm finding myself uh, 20 years in the business. It's June. Mm -hmm. And all I can really think about is October, November, and December. Yeah. And there's this uh, like kind of what you're saying is, uh, proactiveness versus reactiveness. And what I'm saying is that whole first year, you're probably in reaction mode. Years two through three, maybe you you lessen that to quite an extent. But by year three, four, and five, you really should be proactive more than reactive because you've fixed certain things and made it better. And now you have the bandwidth to become reactive to, oh my gosh, GA4, I've got to 
invest in it. But it's not just in like the things on your plate to get done or the projects to improve. It is thinking about where is the market, my market and my competitors likely to go next? Mm-hmm. And what will be the things that will likely or predictably cause us to perform poorly or great? And let's make sure I've got my metrics and dashboards and things organized to to be ready, like you said, to, to give an answer. Yeah. And one story that came out of that too was um, we had a marketer. It was funny. I think you and I were on it, Kevin. And they go, hey, we're thinking about 2024. We might be building in this area. We want to do these surveys. What are your thoughts? What are the best practices? And I was like, oh, 2024 email halfway through the year. Like, look, you know, chef's kiss. Like, thank you so much for being that prepared because you can never go wrong. Collect, you know, like it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily make a decision with that data you're collecting, but having that data early to at least maybe pivot you or, or help drive decisions, um, of something that could come up is, is worth looking into, especially as like, what do people need? Is it, is it this, is it, um, if people are trending, I've talked about this with two builders, if people are trending towards like, Hey, we're noticing a lot of our builder buyers are buying houses with people. It's like, okay, how many multi-generational plans do you have? Oh, it's like, okay, well maybe survey your people and see if that is actually like what percentage that is. Could we control like the market? Yeah, of that? I think there, and your, there's, your, there's your point is yet, correct. Right? There's, there's this proactive about the unknown of what's coming up. But I also just think like knowing that things always trend lower in terms of traffic and lead volume in the yeah. second half of the year. If you were waiting to talk about the fact that it's going to happen until mm-hmm. it happens, you are less credible. Like the credit, like you can build credibility by something as silly as saying, Hey, in October, lead volume will be lower unless there's new communities or phases opening or something that that would, you know, and then when it happens, people are still going to react the way they're going to react. Hey, what's going on? Can't you make, and then you'd be like, Hey, remember we talked about, it's just this inoculation concept of, of talking about it in advance to prepare doesn't it doesn't change the reality but it changes people's perception about you within that reality and that that is important as we've talked many times like marketing has to be between all these other important departments in the company this calm calm place of of strategic and creative thinking but never out of a mode of panic mm-hmm. it's not going to go well and and there's already other emotional sales, uh, divisions in the company, right? So we need to balance that. Agreed. All right. That's all I have, Kevin. Oh, okay. Here, here's something that I think is missing. We just got off a leadership call earlier today, talking through this concept of, uh, market proof algorithm, identifying the problem, talking about the metrics and the sales manager and the leader are like, and yes. And at the end of the day, it's going to help us prove that salespeople are not doing their jobs. And I was like, I mean, if you lean into it from that perspective, you, that that's where you'll end up most of the time, you, even when the data is telling you that that's not the true, like you can't ha- you can't go into that having that bias. Right. And long-term it will degrade everything's effectiveness because salespeople will feel that, will become more guarded with, with data and sharing. And I, I was reflecting quickly on the call, like what, what happened that made this not as much of an issue? And I think it was this, that my boss, Marty, uh, Scott, uh, Blodgett, who's now the head of infinity founder of infinity homes in Pittsburgh. And I, we all agreed that just because the data says that appointments aren't converting to sales at the end of the day, like the rest of the funnel is doing okay, but it's not converting. There is this possibility still that the product market fit isn't there. Mm-hmm. And that, that part of the conversation still is not coming up enough. And especially when we, ha- when we work with two parts of an organization, we're like, you guys really need to talk together or we get on leadership call yeah. with the division. Like, is anyone telling you this? No, not really hearing that. Um, because it, once you have just a couple stories of a salesperson being able to say, the data pointed at this being the problem, but they didn't make it all my fault. And they worked with me to introduce a floor plan at a different um, price point or change the spec level of the finishes. And sometimes it goes up or down to hit a different part of the market, but like they worked with me. It wasn't just 
what's wrong with you? Why can't you sell? It doesn't take very many of those stories for everyone to be like, oh, I'm actually excited now to go through this process because there's not just a, a wake of dead bodies behind whoever goes through this analysis of, of the data. And kind of tied with that, there was one particular submarket that they were wanting to talk about on this call. And they said, well, we just, it's one of the best places to live in this area. We've got this community, it's not performing. And there's these other national builders there. And I was like, okay, how are they performing? Well, I don't know, but like they're, they're big and national and they're going to, but like what, how much are they selling? Cause it was all about, we're positioned well, comparatively um, speaking to these other home building companies, but are any of those home building companies doing well either? Like competitive mm-hmm. analysis is not just about how you are against other new construction or even existing but against the total number of transactions in a price point. And one big potential way to mess this up, by the way, is to look at the homes that are on the market to be sold and make assumptions. So you'd, you'd be like, let's say my neighborhood Happy Acres is from the 400s. And uh, I think my sweet spot's gonna be 450. And I go on Zillow or I go on the MLS and I look at homes available from 400 to 500. And I say, oh, there's only five. And, there's t- and so I'm gonna dominate this market. Mm-hmm. Well, not if the reason there's only five is because in a whole year, there's only eight or nine transactions between 400 and 500 new and used combined. Like you're, you just, so at the end of the day, do competitive analysis and do it well. But no matter what your competitive analysis shows, if you didn't sell a home last month, the big red button should be hit. I mean, we, we had the rule at every, uh, I mean, every builder I was at, except for the very first one, Miranda, where if a neighborhood didn't sell a home, if every neighborhood didn't sell at least one home every month, the red button was hit. Everyone from every department had to go to the model home in that community and sit down and go through a 360 review, basically, of what's going on here because we have all these resources allocated to this thing and it didn't produce anything. And it only happened a couple of times when someone would be like, well, compared to where we are, it's like, Great. I know it says compared to where we are, but did we sell anything? Mm-hmm. And we and we do have enough attention. And the sheet does say compared to where we are, compared to everyone else, and we are following the sales process. Then there's, it's irrelevant to some degree. Like you got to get momentum back. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Uh, on to the news. Marketproof Marketing Academy is, I think, a third sold out ish, yeah. maybe more. Um, someone else just emailed yesterday and said they're adding them on. They haven't bought the ticket yet. So hurry and get that. Um, it will sell this out. This will be the first market proof Academy where we don't cover universal analytics. I think. Yeah. yeah. What fun. <laughs> it's it's a big GA for all the time. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Um, so check out that link in the show notes. There's, um, we, we got kind of final seat counts for the summit. Mm-hmm. and a room setup so we have kind of the last tickets available there um, so make sure to secure those as well if you are in the top uh, 100 builders and you want to uh, get your free ticket that's still available as well uh, while seats remain so continue heading over there all right I, I, one of the things just quickly is there's not there, there's been this trend of us not having a harder time finding more and more to talk about within ad channels themselves, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, Google ads updates or meta ads updates, which is, it's not that those things aren't happening. It's just, they're either so far in the weeds or when we test or look at it, the, the, there's no shift really. We'll do a better job of continuing to try to hunt for those, but it also might mean that we just need um, to go back to like having maybe one show a month about just uh, for like a three or four months, just about, Hey, let's do a quick 360 discussion of kind yeah. of the state oh. of. Yeah. Like I actually put a, back in the day. Yeah. I put a link just right before this about um, from martech.org talking about how, what are they calling it? The UA, UA apocalypse. Oh yeah. They're, they're, and they're talking about, like yeah. Like even though, Google Analytics Universal is going away. It still seems like a good majority of people still haven't made the swap. So, um, which is frightening, I would say. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, they have some data here. But I think that's where Google's kind of like, we got you. You're not going to touch a button. Like, we're just going to yeah. go ahead and migrate you over to GA4 automatically, which I don't, you know, yeah. I think it's genius on their part. Also, how they're able to do that well will be a question, but. Yeah. Yes, it's not that there's not these other technical things to talk about. They're just not as impactful as the headlines might make you think. But whenever we find stuff, we'll talk about it. In the meantime, we'll circle back around and kind of do a quick review. I mean, I think we'll talk about it certainly at the summit as well. But, you know, like collection ads versus carousel ads versus um, single image ads, we can do kind of quick updates, uh, roundups on that. Maybe we post something in all access about that too down the road. All right, first up. From doyouconvert.com, uh, written by Jesse Suggs, the most valuable traits for successful online sales specialists. Um, great article, but I'll, I'll cover the, the parts that are in bold. Here you go. Um, self-awareness and personal accountability. Mm-hmm. Side note, you know, part of that personal accountability, when we say successful, it's because we're still seeing a trend of I don't know, maybe 20 to 30% of people who manage online salespeople, managing them being like, we good? All right, cool. And so, you know, the ones who are really successful are personally accountable because oftentimes, unfortunately, they're not being held accountable uh, in the right way by by their managers. There's a whole bunch of people who are like, maybe 10% who are like, can you please tell this manager to stop being overly accountable? Like, let me do my job. We know there's we know there's a spectrum there. Uh, Self motivation, coachability, high standards, pride in their work, yeah. goal driven mindset, flexibility, and adapt adaptability, and thick skin. And I'm just gonna go down to thick skin for a second, and then you two can comment on whatever other parts yeah. you like. But uh, rejection is an inherent part of the sales, and a successful online sales specialist understands this. They develop a thick skin, understand that hearing no is a normal part of the process. And they don't get discouraged by that. They see rejection as an opportunity to learn, grow, and refine their approach. Um, so you're, you know, it's still a game of percentages and, and you're likely to hear no almost as often as you hear yes, sometimes more often. That's just part of the job. Yeah, yeah I can see a lot of OSCs sometimes that if they don't have the thick enough skin to, they, they get deflated just like an on-site sales agent. They need to be like prepped up a little. Um, but, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes it's just like, they, they really care. So just making sure they care. And, you know, when I used to make outbound phone calls, when I worked at an agency that I won't go into, cause it uh, PTSD, um, you know, I would make games of like how many outbound calls I can do, like how many to, notes like, can I collect? How many, how many notes can I collect? Um, but you have to realize, yeah, th- those are the, I would say the typical things to expect in the position and, usually gauge who, who, who's receptive to that feedback and who isn't pretty quickly. But I would say that personal accountability is probably the most consistently successful trait that I see OSCs have, um, when they work with marketing people as well. So to me, I read this, I'm like, you could apply this to anybody. Um, not saying it's, it's that broad, but I'm like, okay, there's definitely, I I picture everyone's kind of title, their position almost like we're picking a gaming character and like, all right, this one has more mobility and dexterity, power, strength, speed, going back to a game example. Like this is okay. A someone who's flexible and has, they could adapt easily. That might be good for this, you know, marketing technologist type person who could just Mm kind of like ebb and flow. They could adapt to talking it. They could adapt to talking to leadership, talking to someone who has no idea on the technical sides. So each one kind of leans more towards the most optimal person type. Um, depending on what their what their role is, but all these are things we what, kind what of this all need. Also, reminded me of is it why we use the exact hiring process with our builder partners for this position that we do. Yeah, because what you hear from people who don't follow that process and like meet the online sales specialist uh, for an in person interview right off the bat or um, hop on Zoom without doing the the full process, they're like. They don't say any of these things when they're like, we have somebody and you're just like, okay, great. Why tell us about them. They're either a friend of the family or they're a friend of someone who already works there, which that's not on this list. Just to be clear, I didn't, you know, I've read all of the things that she wrote on the list, uh, a friend of someone or family member was not part of the list. And the second thing that's not on the list is warm and bubbly. 
like, oh, they're just so, they're just so fun to talk to. They're just so outgoing. And it's like, that's awesome. But that doesn't translate to any of these things necessarily either. I mean, the only one really is high standards and pride in their work potentially. Um, like, hey, I, I want to make people feel good that I'm interacting with mm-hmm. from, from a prospect standpoint. But as says, I mean, people can be warm and bubbly, but completely uncoachable. Yeah. I've, I feel like some of the last OSCs we've seen sometimes are introverts because they're just like, hey, I know how to do this. And this is the these are the steps I take. And every yeah. day very consistent, not all of them, but some of yeah. them it's like, oh, that's unexpectedly. Well, there's like a huge asterisk when you say the word, just so no one misunderstands, mm-hmm. like they have to, they can't be afraid of the phone ringing, like they can't hide in the right. corner. Um, but yeah, that when certainly there are people that you see, you know, you listen to call recordings or you watch yeah. a bomb bomb that they've made and then you go and meet them in person. Correct. And that, I think that's what you're saying is yeah. they're like, they're very calm. They're not like jumping all over this, all over the place. And you're like, huh, like they're able to put on that. Um, yeah, that's an interesting selling one. Masks. Now that you bring that up, like there's definitely people that I know that are quote influencers and their mm-hmm. internet phone, whatever personality, their digital personality, right. you're like, they're hilarious. They have so much energy. You meet them in person enough time to like, not just like a couple minutes, but like you spend like, are you talking hours. about me? Talking about you? <laughs> no, you're, you're almost, you're the same. Yes. Like only if I'm like, caffeinated. There you go. Uh, quick, quick aside. Cause I, people love these. But this is probably the, what exactly I'm going to say. We're, we're at, I'm at Hilton Head last week on vacation with uh, 23 other family members. My brother's family, my sister's family, they all have, uh, they each have three kids, my parents. And someone decides to start a, a Euchre tournament, which I hadn't played Euchre in forever. Um, but one of those things where totally, like you man. give everyone a number and then you have like this round robin thing. Everyone plays everyone, partners with everyone, and then you total up your points at the end. Craziness. Oh. But I, prior to that, had had two and a half cups of coffee and taken a nap. And You're so, yeah, I'm like talking smack and making jokes and just like having fun. They're all like, we love this uncle Kevin. Where is this uncle Kevin? <laughs> like, well, you either have to be on a zoom call with me as a builder partner, mm-hmm. or I have to be highly caffeinated. And they're like, well, just do it. So anyway, yeah, there you go. And what I was leaning towards was like, which one really matters in person or how they're actually going to function and do their job yeah. like for the online sales position. Like, right. Right. Which 100%. is just. You, you kind of led some, had some things in between the, line, in the, between the lines there as far as interviewing. <laughs> also, in person this important. is probably not appropriate, but you know, there, there were That's multiple the online sales people that I've worked with at home building companies. And one of them would be like, all right, I'm like, I'm going to go make a bunch of calls, but first I'm going to drink this cup of coffee. Like we're not, to be clear, a hundred percent, if we needed a warning label on the video stream of this, like we are not endorsing any type of legal or illegal drug use. But I am saying that when you were talking about something that is a transfer of emotion Mm -hmm. and if, and if you don't buy, like it could just be, and and Jen's done videos on this, Jesse's done videos on this. It might just be going for a walk. It might be standing up and having a standing desk. Who knows what it is, but you have to be able to unlock that. Even if you are naturally an extrovert. Mm -hmm. Yep. Have it on tap. That's good. Uh, next up from nhb.org, uh, one that I'm not certain how I feel about. It, uh, the headline is lot shortages ease, but st- are still a problem. Um, Strange headline. Yeah, here's the thing. And again, I don't pretend to be an expert, but most uh, owners, division presidents, when they're looking at land, they're thinking at least three years out, often five at the edges, maybe six or seven. Um, if it's a bigger master plan project or something coming down the line. But the point is they're thinking out into the future. So it's one of those things uh, like you can hear the same conversation and come away with two very different conclusions if you don't fully understand. So this is just want to take a minute and make sure people fully understand. There is lot availability. That just means do we have lots to build on today where we want them? And then there is lot availability for three years in the future, for five years in the future. And so you can't just say lot availability. Does that make sense? I agree. Yeah. What are we talking about here? And so what I'm hearing a lot 
is that the lots that people are going gaga for are, hey, what do you have available in 24 or 25? I'm good for now, but I'm nervous that the pipeline, like I thought things would slow down more than they ended up slowing down. And so I'm looking out at 2025 and I'm saying, what do you got? But this is saying that um, nearly half, 42% of single family builders characterize the supply of lots simply as low. 25% said very low. 67% is lower from the 76% those reported um, in September of 2021. So they're, they're easing, but I think most of this is about the, the short term. And, and a lot of our builders, I mean, you, you both know this, um, this whole spring and summer is like new community. They, they're popping up like wildflowers mm -hmm. on the side of the road everywhere. Mm -hmm. And what I read on this, which I'm like, oh, that's another dimension. Like th th this is where my takeaway, I'm like, I don't, I need more info here is one factor contributing to the lot shortage is availability of credit for developers. Okay. So mm -hmm. is really the headline that credit availability for developers limits supply of lots in 25 to 27. Which or that's it interesting is. too. I mean, I think. Maybe it's just, it's like just, I'm, I create it's all just true. for you, Jackie, you're here. I'm creating right. themes in my own head that are causing right. these echoes. Um, even when you hear that, there's two ways to take it, Andrew. There is, oh, well, credit is tightening. Maybe because these Expensive. regional banks are, have commercial loans. And we've, uh, I think Brookfield defaulted on like a billion dollar tower in LA last month, um, office tower. So that's, there is this sense that credit is tightening. And a lot of the regional banks lend to home building companies. The other part of this is a lot of times these, this land that is wanting to be purchased is more expensive than some people should think it should be. Yeah. And they're also like, yeah, no, there is no comp for that. Or mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let you have this, but at this higher rate because the risk is bigger. So it's not just that no one wants to lend money or less people want to lend money, it could also be that people are trying to buy things at ever higher prices. And this goes back to one of the reasons why I think we're still not out of the woods here is that land prices only paused and or slightly declined for like a couple months. And now it's back to the races, land prices going back up and to the right. And that it's not, not a great thing for the yeah, industry. That could be another headline. land prices, you know, cause X, Y, Z. And it's probably all, all of it, but which is the ma major factor? Like, I, I just can't believe, like, and this is just life experience, whatever. It's never just one thing, but one thing could be like, that is the catalyst for everything else happening. Um, yeah, this is, but it's interesting because this is, yeah, 2025, 2024. Yeah. Next up from Redfin, nearly everyone with a mortgage has an, has an interest rate below 6%, prompting many to stay put. First of all, remember, like, something crazy, like 40% of people don't even have a mortgage. They own their home outright. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, people, almost everyone below that, um, roughly four and five homeowners with mortgages have an interest rate below five. And one quarter have a rate below three. The chart is really and nice so, as far as, who was I talking to earlier with this? There's someone we talked about this. Um, it might have been referencing this article. Um, will the green people, we're looking at the chart here. So green are people with a mortgage beneath 3%. I, I swear it's a retweet or something where it's like, if you have a mortgage beneath whatever percent, that is an asset, even though we're mm -hmm. like, well, it's debt, it's liability, et cetera. But that's an asset now because we'll never get back to that. So it's the rare. Will those people ever sell those homes? Oh, you're muted, Kevin. Like, will they sell them? Which you're is being paid to hold on to it. Right. And with with just paid. inflation being where it's at, you're... you're Which... The is number of conversations I've had with people who I'm like, you should not sell. Like my sister is um, thinking about selling her home. And I was like, please don't. She's like, oh, but we want to, you know, maximize the amount of money we can put down on the next house. And I was like, do you know what that house would rent for? No, I have no idea. Okay. It would rent for three times what your mortgage payment is right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe three and a half. Really? No, you're kidding me. Yeah, because one, because your mortgage, yeah. your mortgage payment is ridiculously low because you've lived there for 10 years and you refied at 3%, right? It was just, yeah, it is. And that, that's one of the reasons on LinkedIn, I, and I used um, MidJourney to create this little image of an old house, which I thought was hilarious. It's like <laughs> old white man on the house when I, when I was like old house sleeping. Um, yeah. 
But the used home market's just asleep. Like it, it will return. Who knows when exactly, and who knows why? But it's going to to come roaring back. And even like again, we're not looking at a chart for this, but be careful when you look at a chart that says transaction volume versus number of listings. Mm-hmm. So transaction volume is like 40, 50%, maybe even higher, 60% of, of what it, you know, quote unquote, has been in other years. That's very different than the number of homes on the market for sale. Because again, that's what, like, that number is like a third of what it typically would be. Actually, the other article that we didn't toss in here, but I wanted to bring up was housing market update, nearly 40% fewer homes for sale than pre-pandemic right now too. And that I think goes along with the previous article that we were just talking about is, yeah, people don't have to move. They're not moving and everyone's kind of just holding on to that. But uh, yet people are, but, and and that's again, why you see it showing up in the numbers when they are, it's because they kind of have to. And so the urgency is still high. And that's why even if the number of total leads and total traffic have declined, you can still hit your goals, but not if you're accepting lower conversions all throughout the rest and just saying, well, the market's no, just because the volume of leads you're getting is lower does not mean that things should not be coming out the other end at at a high rate as a percentage of those leads. So the, the conversion rates can and oftentimes do improve yeah. dramatically because they they're having a baby or they got you know reassigned to another job and a lot of times when people move for jobs they get packages that help them relocate that make it even more attractive uh and easier so agreed um from charter.co yes yeah, plotting a move oh, yeah. where oh. are americans heading Hmm. They're coming down to net migration by state versus change in population. And uh, they're all moving closer to Andrew. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> they're coming down here to I'm Tampa. South. Tampa Bay. Yeah, that, that sort of South and me. East. Yeah, that's quite a few people that I didn't know Florida was on the, the front end 319,000 as far as net, net migration. And then the next one up is 230,000 with Texas. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's a lot of people, which is there's some markets I've seen like the houses have not gone up that much because there's so much land, um, say like Jacksonville, St. Augustine area compared to where I'm at, where there's no land, like our house has gone up crazy, but there's no land. Yeah. My brother, he lives in the St. Augustine Jacksonville market. It's gone up. Prices are definitely up there, but relative it's like, oh, there's plenty of supply. There's plenty of sales happening. It's really interesting that yeah, and one of the fascinating things, people will look at a chart like that and they'll say, see, California is a dumpster fire and everyone's leaving. But, uh, and Ali Wolf talked about this. I also heard someone else um, write about this in an article that I can't remember. It's so hard to build homes in California, especially in the, in the markets and places where people really want to live, that between people leaving the state and dying, you still can't keep up with the demand for houses. That's crazy. Because you can't build any new ones fast enough and and inexpensively enough. So it's just interesting, like just because your state might be on this chart in the red, doesn't mean like it's all falling apart. But what it does, and you know, we, we know this, the number of the the opportunity, not on the coast, not in Seminole County, but in the swamplands of florida yeah where i don't know why anyone wants to live there but god bless you and yeah, bless and, them. you know they need it in in rural south carolina markets like you can absolutely build homes and i mean texas cracks me up because a lot of our builders like the majority of what they build has no permits and no inspections I'm just like yeah Easy. i mean <laughs> if you can find water and power go for it so yeah that's the um we always teach that a single metric, this would be mm-hmm. net migration by state versus change of population. Like it's not the full picture. You can't come to a conclusion I, with, with a single thing. It's a good like, all right, we'll start here. Then we yeah. can explore and see what's happening. I, I had a, a very interesting experiment we did with a marketer where they saw a chart like this and they go, everyone's coming from this state. 
this article told me. And so I go, okay, well, like, let's look at your data specifically. And we're like, okay, it's number 11. And like, if we're going to create specific targeted ads in States, you know, let's do the other top two. And they're like, no, 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 let's do 11. And then I just let them know like, okay, and next month 11 is going to be five because we are targeting them. So we're going to also change our minds about, yeah, people are coming from that site or that state because we are targeting them. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, while you should always have, long story short, you should always have relocation campaigns regardless for other states. Um, But in terms of like, when you get a specific, also use your own data to see where people are coming from if you are targeting them. But um, yeah, some of these things kind of scare me because I've seen or like a sales member gets this sheet and they're like, we have to target this place. And they get really vocal and, uh, and, and try to change marketing. And and then marketing is like a fine and they fold sometimes. Um, so just making sure you are zooming out with these art- kinds of articles. If someone forwards them too. We have, like a, we have like a theme for today. It's like this, don't have a bias. Um, mm, so yeah. Kevin talked about like, don't look at the algorithm, market algorithm, or when you're troubleshooting slow community, don't already have what you think the answer is like it's sales. Yeah. Don't go into it with that because then you'll look for that data. You'll find data to support it. Same with this. Yeah. One thing I didn't, I didn't Unless mention. you're really sure you're right. And then find Unless a way to really prove. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't talk about this and I don't feel like we've, if we have to cut this, we'll cut this. But one of the things that I did around the algorithm was create, it's an internal document for our builder partners only. So if you're listening to this tough, um, or, or reach out and we'll, we're going to do, but it's a 10 page document I created of not like here's the exact things that the algorithm is going to show you. It's here are the questions you need to be asking when the chain is broken from next step to next step, because you're right. It's, there's no one answer fits all. And, and you have to zoom out of your little marketing box and you have to zoom out of Mm -hmm. sales marketing box. And you need to put your brains together to figure out like, what is the bigger solution? So how that relates to this again, don't create really specific campaigns unless you're very sure of your data, but also, um, yeah, don't let anyone bully you with articles. Well, what, right, and they say you know, uh, copying is is a form of flattery, mm-hmm. right? And we know uh, other companies watch everything we do and quickly try to copy it. And the, and the market proof algorithm is not really an exception. But what's interesting about it has been one: people still remember where they heard about it first. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone recently was like, "Oh yeah, um, someone from our Builder Twenty group presented on how to use something very similar to this, but it didn't really make sense at all, and it didn't work." very well when we tried to implement it. So it's like, oh, oh shoot. You know, that that's that's nice to know, but it's one of the ways that people have taken it in a completely wrong direction is trying mm-hmm. to automate like the whole thing, saying basically so Andrew's made a sheet which some of our builders use that like when you're trying to fill that gap in traffic, how to figure out which things you should use and maybe what a budget should be. But it doesn't just solve it for you because there is something really important about not jumping to the conclusion too quickly. So we very easily could make something that would like make a box turn purple if this is the problem or whatever, and and try to do more like self-identification. It almost always backfires uh, if you don't go back. It's it's very similar in a lot of our calls. We're like, okay, let's go back and let's just pretend we're a customer. We see this ad, it's the only context we know. And immediately, the builder's like, oh yeah, how would they know that when they click on the ad, they're going to go to this community page that my team has spent 10 hours optimizing and added this message piece and add this video. They don't know. All they see is the ad and whatever's in the ad, that's it. Yeah. Well, now, yeah, that makes sense why that didn't perform the way we thought it would. Mm-hmm. So going through the process is still really, really important. Definitely. Agreed. Until we get a good enough AI and then we'll release it. We'll give it <laughs> there we go. But for now, good. it's important to go through the process. Uh, last up from the news, this is from the Builders Daily, which, um, by the way, um, John McManus, I got to meet him at the uh, PCBC, hmm. and it was just one of the coolest, like, I know I write stuff, but I still don't really, and I've published a book, so I, it's it's all made up believe in my head, but I'm like, I'm not an author, I don't, like, I just push buttons on the keys, and, and I, it's more like thinking, but I was like, John, like, seriously, you write some of the best stuff ever. And, um, and he's, he's very gracious. And then he was like, and I read your stuff too. And I was like, what get out of here. He's like, yeah, you're, you're really good. And no I was like, Oh, 
anyway, that was a that was one of my highlights of yeah, of the month of May. Super cool. Uh, but John wrote this article about the Lennar machine, a cycle proof growth plan uh, proves itself. And I mean, asterisks on this on the cycle proof growth plan because it's all proven until it's not. You know, but for for a long time, Lennar has proven that they have been able to adjust and maintain. Um, it's a fascinating article, longer read, and depending on like if you've only been in the industry for a year, don't read this article. It won't really make sense to you. And there's other things you should be yeah. focused on. It's you definitely know? a harder article. I, I got a lot of it um, from reading it, but not necessary. But one, it's very fascinating, I think, on the business side of things. But two, it's like the strategy is grounded in principle. You have principles when you want to make a decision that maybe isn't the best choice. And that's why principles exist, at least my interpretation of the word mm. principle or pillars yeah. or tenets, whatever order you use, like when things are tough, you have this as your beacon to stay, right? And yeah. if you don't, then you'll be decisions all over the place. Next thing you know, you're out of home sites or you're out of you know marketing budget or you're out of whatever your application, your job is, your responsibility. You have the principles to keep you safe and long-term and like in business, essentially. I I'm love like, oh. it. Here's them doing this. They're they're Love literally it. here's and our game proves plan. that we don't have real show notes uh, to do this because if we <laughs> did, I would have something for show and tell for you. Because as soon as you started sure. talking about principles, um, so here my wife and I uh, are one of our daughters. The one I mean, someday I will crawl this and tell her everything I've ever said about her and put it in a book. One of our daughters. We've got some issues with like listening and she just kind of hides in her room and like disappears. And no matter what you do with screen time, she finds a way around it and she won't like it's just we've got some issues, but she's in, she's our, she's our smartest kid also. And so every time we talk about something, she's like, no one told me I didn't know Like you. There's no way that's true. You're the smartest kid, most observant kid. When you, when you're around, you get straight A's in school. And so every time in the past, my, my wife or I have been like, okay, we're just going to write everything out. And we're like, we're morons. And she's gotten away with this for way too long. What we had to do was write a set of rules and most importantly, the principles behind that. Yeah, and so then when we sat down with her, like, see these rules? Yeah, uh -huh. I know those. I know all those. See these principles? Yep, I know those. Okay, the principles cover anything that's not mentioned in a rule, right? So gotcha. when in doubt, refer to these principles. There is no more gray. Like, be nice to your family. It doesn't say like no hitting, no kicking. No, it's just like, no, you have to be nice to your family. And, and so that's what you're saying is like, Hey, these principles allow you to maneuver as a even large organization when everything isn't spilled out to the letter. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we have some here at, at DYC and sticking to those reminding of those, like, I think, Mike, whether I'm sure it's intentional, but it just is our culture. Like they yeah. come up often, but not as far as like, okay, guys, hands on your heart. We're reciting our principles here. To <laughs> this is, that'd be super bizarre, by the way. Like we just kind of know like, oh, that's how you operate without like, all right, here's your playbook. Here's your rule book. Andrew, here's what you need to do. Or Becca or Jackie, yeah. whoever. It's just Refer like, to page 12, section A mm -hmm. to know how to respond to this, right? That doesn't yeah. exist. It doesn't exist. It's just, here's how you do things. Okay. Well, here, here's a couple pieces that I wanted to pull out that I think are, are like, just, it's good to know that people are doing this because I wish more people were. And I don't love the language here that they use, but in discussing what Lennar calls the Lennar machine, uh, here's a quote from Stuart Miller. Uh, it says, our sales team engaged our digital marketing platform in conjunction with our dynamic pricing model to continue to drive sales volume at market pricing in order to maintain consistent production levels. Okay, pause. A couple of big words there. Digital marketing platform. What does that mean? How we can connect to the customer through digital, uh, digital advertising and communication. Dynamic pricing model. Okay, so I'm just breaking this down uh, or trying to break it down for you. Dynamic pricing model says, Here's where this needs to be priced in order to hit the sweet spot of the market, in order to continue to sell homes at the pace we want to, regardless of potential impact on profitability. Because as a company, you can figure that you can reduce other expenses to offset. Anyway, what does the house need to sell for? And then once we know 
how, how do we make sure that our digital marketing efforts communicate that to the right people? So ultimately, big words in a comp, convoluted sentence to just say, we're pricing our homes correctly, and we've got systems and, and principles that tell us how to do that. And then we ha- let our sales team engage with the digital marketing platform in order to clearly communicate that. Mm-hmm. We affectionately call this configuration the Lennar machine, and it is designed to produce consistent sales pace at pricing that enables consistency as the market adjusts. So what they're saying is we, we value consistency above all else, consistency and volume. We are a production builder, and this is the next quote that I want to read. Our core strategy of being a production first builder, we have consciously chosen not to limit production and drive pricing to maximize margins. We think we are a better company by being production first and managing sales pace to start pace that drives better returns, better cash flow that drives better returns. Okay, so this is, I mean, I love it and I, and I have a huge respect with what Lennar has done. It's just dramatically different than my time at NVR when I was there. Uh, and you know, now there's a different, um, uh, different CEO, so maybe the philosophy is shifting there. I, I don't really know, but at NVR, the strategy is we can only sell every home site once, and it's really hard to replace them. So let's maximize the amount that we can make on each one, while still having high uh, volume. And Lenar is saying, if we have to pick one of the two, we're going to pick the consistency of producing large volume. And they're both successful strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and then it sh- the article shifts to M&A and consolidation because if, if essentially what Lennar is trying to do is like a checkmate, right? Like we keep scaling, we scale consistently, we just keep buying other people who can't keep up with that scale. And then we have less competitors, which then makes our consistency of volume even easier. It is, it is a uh, like choking out the competition, acquiring more, it- becoming larger, larger, larger. Is it offensive to say it's similar to Walmart? I don't know if it, I don't think that's offensive at all. Walmart obviously knows what they're doing. I mean, they, it's offensive because the Walmart brand is not think, good and I the Lenar brand at, is, but yeah. in strategic conceptual- Takeaway feelings, right? It's like, right. <laughs> right, Lenar, I'm sure controls their trades drastically better than someone who doesn't have the volume. Reinforces our consistency. And so they just, it's like, okay, is there advantage to that? Yes, huge advantage. We always have whatever plumber, framer, et cetera, all those things we need. It drives a consistency, but maybe they're leaving money on the table. Then you go, okay, this approach might be better for that. I guess there's risk on both sides. There's opportunity cost on both ends um, for all of it. Yeah, I think, and here, here's what it comes down to. Uh, this is the last thing I'll quote, and then we'll shift on to um, favorites, and then we'll we'll be done for this week. But in terms of home builders, I think that there is still capital available for those that are operating in the production world. What I, what I take that to mean is we think this, this consistency says, yeah, your margins may not be as good, but you're consistently returning uh, profitability at, at a certain level. And so we are more willing to give you, and, and again, this, there's definitely truth to this. Like at Heartland, we would beat out at, back in the day NVR because someone who had a piece of land and was trying to decide, should I sell it to NVR? Who might give me more money up front uh, versus Heartland, who I know based upon multi-year tracker record will sell out the first phase, which is always the, the most um, you know, high stress part of this. They're going to get ahead of their takedown and stay ahead of their takedown. And so I'd rather take that consistency of knowing that Heartland is going to perform than just take a little bit more money up front or a lot more money up front. So I think, I think there's, I mean, it's, it's it, for those of you who like thinking about the bigger, uh, bigger picture in housing, it's a really fascinating read. Good job, John. Okay. All right. Favorites, Jackie. I watched flaming hot the other day, which was a movie okay. about flaming hot Cheetos. And I thought my husband puts it on and I, love him to death. His movies are bad. Like he does not hmm. have a good taste in movies. So he puts this on and I'm like, turn this off. I got suckered into it. Watch the whole thing. And I just thought it was very interesting way to approach what could potentially be a very boring, it's a bag of chips. It's a brand of bag of chips. And, but it's the story of how 
of, of the man who invented it. And they're basically, sometimes I tell people, they're like, oh, we don't know who to be in our videos, how to do this. It's like, Hey, there was a lot of, this is about hot Cheetos, which I'm a big fan of, but it's the story of the, the developing and the family and how the years of growing this, how it's saved, you know, like I know there's lies in it and, and there's cheesy things, but I was just like, wow, for a really weird subject, if someone pitched this to me, clearly I was not going to watch it. I wouldn't have watched it. Um, but sometimes too, that's like, sometimes we think a content piece for our homes will be, uh, no one's going to watch that. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to put emotion behind it and like get inspiration from these little weird, quirky videos and movies. And, uh, so that, that would be it. My favorite was pleasantly surprised by the flaming hot Cheetos movie. That is interesting. <laughs> I guess, uh, that awesome. would be a topic. I want to look up. Um, I feel like that that Cheeto, the flaming hot Cheetos. Well, now it's has, billion dollar division of Frito Lay, and it's just right. like yeah. it took off from nowhere. So like, and it's definitely there's to me it's referenced a lot in like internet culture. Mm-hmm. If that if you believe in that word, Netflix of course is. And I'm sure they're already. I don't even want to say this out loud. They're they plan content around tragedy, obviously. Mm. For years forward so like flaming hot cheetos whoever whatever young kids they have on their team as far as like hey this is like a meme for the most part like mm-hmm. like tag the girl that would have the flaming hot cheetos in this in your class and it's like it takes off and if unless you are younger you're like what the heck is this person just talking about me why would you talk about that so it's like it it'd be interesting to see the data behind that just like hashtag data of every chip out there flaming hot cheeto is by far like over here number one everything else is down this way like no one talks about sour cream and onion pringles no one talks about sour cream that's boring or tight it's not remarkable it's not remarkable um mine's similar it's it's also product based um yours is that but i finally got some i always shop Lindsay, my wife she got me some new shorts for father's day and i'm actually impressed by these Mm. chubby's the brand i think i don't know you're familiar with the jackie i'm not sure if you are kevin they started out, um, you're not familiar. Are you kidding me? This is embarrassing. They're like the first like skies out, thighs out, like that type of short, a lot of fraternity <laughs> vibes, like the khaki that, shorts. This like, is why started. I have not heard of them. I was going to say, okay. that doesn't read Kevin. Their branding, no, their branding is spot right on. It's good. Um, so are they good to nap in? Does that work? These are good to do whatever, whatever you want. All right. well, they're I'm like, and I, I have like more premium brand shorts. We're, I'm Florida. This is what you wear. Those 313,000 people are net migration. They're adding to the list of they needed to get my recommendation. These shorts are ridiculous. They're amazing. They kind of fit everything. I've told three or four other people about them. They all bought them based on my recommendation. I'm like, this is crazy as far as just seeing like other brands, Lulu, Chubbies, Bird Dogs, et cetera. And then this one just stands out. I'm like, oh, it's just like potentially like a flaming hot Cheeto. Um, yeah. They're out of stock. You can't get them. Like they're just like <laughs> taking off. It's really interesting. Um, I, so I, I recommend them if you need to buy some shorts I think for the theme- a special man in your life. Yeah, I think the theme between yours and eyes is like, don't underestimate the power of word of mouth marketing too. Yeah. That's what they kind of talked about where it's like, hey, like I- A good I'm, product I'm, will take off. Yeah, I'm a I'm a brand uh, loyalist now, loyal, loyal brand, I don't loyalist. know, person. You're now eating Flaming Hot Cheetos for, for the rest of the year. I have since high school, so it's See. disgusting. I feel bad after eating them, but I can't stop. So that's all I'm sorry. What do you got, Kevin? Yeah. Um, my favorite is vacation. Because I just went on it. Good. But also, um, I read this quote by a gentleman named Brennan Manning. He said, the trouble with our ideals is that if we live up to them all, we become impossible to live with. And um, one of the least interacted LinkedIn posts I've ever written is this one. But I think it, because it's also maybe a little bit uh, like, what does that really mean? Like, what it means is that, uh, again, kids help you realize this. Uh, coworkers who will help you realize this, uh, but like when you, if you've ever worked with someone who is impossible to work with or impossible to live with, it's because they think something has become so disciplined in their life. It's like of course, like you know, uh, uh, the, the tropes are there: the toilet seat cover, the whatever. It's like how do you not just close this? And it's because you you yourself do it consistently without thinking because it's part of your discipline, part of your habit. Mm-hmm. But if you become that way you also just become like this rigid statue of a person that is like impossible to live with according to like this Brennan Manning quote. So I just thought it was interesting as I read that as like the first day on vacation, it hit me that like there are trade-offs to everything, even living 
like disciplined life because discipline is held up to this idea of like yes they have discipline look at their performance because they're disciplined discipline and that's true but living disciplined life also can become a negative to to friends and family and those people around you because you become overly disciplined so vacations really are at least it seemed to me like a break in discipline like you know you're taking a vacation from your diet you're taking a vacation from work it's a vacation from the routine which is discipline and it allows you to reconnect or disconnect like reconnect with things that aren't part of your regular disciplined routine but also um, disconnect from that regular discipline routine and so you know like i love my job and so there's this still the sense often of like i don't really like i work from home my kids until recently have all been homeschooled like we spend we do stuff every evening like do we have to go to the beach? I mean, I love the beach, but it's also just life is it's already work. awesome. Do we need it? And the answer is yes, you still need something that disrupts you from the discipline schedule and routine that you already have. So that you start saying yes to ice cream three days a week instead of no every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, yes, every I, day the, I think those, those um, unique elements too, are where memories are formed. Cause I, yeah, I went camping last weekend 30 minutes away. Like that was not really worth the trip, but it was like, my son got to be in nature for like 48 hours. Cause they're all see like loves watching Spider-Man. So it's just like, you got to break, break those habits. And, um, and, and also I think what you're saying is recognizing like you, you need those breaks to, to re like adjust yourself to and realize like what is actually important and what should I be focusing on? So that's yeah, fun. definitely. And I think my favorite thing for vacations is to make it feel like you're vacationing longer is to start planning them really far in advance. <laughs> and then you, then it's like, you get to like, oh, that's really nice there. Like, oh, breakfast on the first day, let's go to this spot. That's my, I think that's why some people are like, I'm a planner is they're actually getting positive emotion out of planning, not because, or some people need it to, to oh, control. It's the same like people who design the front cover of a book and then feel like they've written it, right? It's like that, like you're planning a vacation you feel like you're already mm-hmm. you're there to do there experiencing it to a degree yeah, yeah. it's like where it's ex- escapism or something whatever word i don't think people use that word as much anymore that was a gary vanderchuk word wasn't it <laughs> get that out of here that's <laughs> lots of good all right this week. thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next week see ya. see ya bye thanks for joining us on another episode of market proof marketing Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market proof.